This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios, from the frozen tundra in the crap part of Soho, and from a beautifully sunny day in West Hollywood, Rod, oh. it's the Men in Blazers podcast. We're back! Like, We're back. To- like Tony Poulis. <laughs> like Tony Poulis. Oh, mate, it's it's not the frozen tundra here. It's just six inches, light, light covering. Newcastle yeah. fans would still it, be having their shirts off at the game in this weather, mate. Yeah, but it's not the covering, Rog. It's, what are they calling us? The bomb storm or the bomb popcalypse or something. Who are they? And the what do they know? And sideways, and it's going up from the ground. It snows, oh. and it gets sucked up, and it comes down again even harder. I loved it when it comes up. It feels like one of those great modern Japanese technological toilets. But I'm so <laughs> excited to be here. J Dubs is here. We're all yeah. snowed in. We're speaking mm-hmm. to you. I'm just so happy to be podding again. When we do not pod, yeah, it's like not breathing. It's like not defecating. It's like it's like a bodily function that I'm not exercising. I just store it up. I just want to let it out, Davo. See, I'm. I know you do. You get all stopped up. Yeah, stopped up. And you blockages. need the psyllium husk. You need the psyllium husk to have it uh, come <laughs> out of you. But it's weird because it's, for me, it's completely the opposite. I am sitting here at the kitchen counter, podding with you, and it feels like I haven't been away anywhere or had any break. That I've just been in a continuous pod with you for the last three months. <sighs> Is that what it feels? You've you've had yeah. a technological cleanse. You've been off yeah. everything. You've been on the beach. You've given up drinking a little bit, not that much, <laughs> sporadically. I'm, I'm I'm president of giving up drinking a little bit in between That's drinks. You've given up drinking in between drinks. I've given up drinking a little bit temporarily. <sighs> that's my uh, that's the new movement. I'm starting to run. cut back a little bit temporarily. Yeah. That's the new movement that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to take out there to the country. To Let's the world, not Rod. drink in between drinks. It's the new diet. Oh, the future. I, had, I tried to relax, Dave, well, as I did, but my Lord, there was, there was a lot of football. A lot of football. So much football. It's like a spigot that overfloweth. I, I felt bad for my family. I'd be like on the beach and I'd have to charge back to watch Everton hold Chelsea to a dour nil-nil stalemate. And then I'd trot back. But you know who I felt worse for in the whole world, David? Who? The two Robbies. Yeah, because what? Because there was so much football. And, and now there's just two Robbies and no Kyle. I, I'm worried about them. They're like a machine that I think is in real danger of overheating. There's very little uh, squad rotation up there <laughs> in Stamford, Rog. The Robbies have got to play every game. I know. The players, the players are complaining that they're like, we're playing four games in 10 days. The Robbies, they're putting yeah. in five-hour shifts on a daily basis. Oh, NBC did uh, occasionally go with an avant-garde one Robbie Derek Ray formation, which makes me think, Musty and Earl, and I know you listen to this pod, you've got to register the Twitter handle one Robbie NBC at one Robbie NBC right now that that's become a thing, David. But those guys, my Lord, but I think there's going to be some metatarsal injuries and some, some Achilles pulled uh, in that, in that two-Robbie pod room before long, David. There's no periodization. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, Rod. Uh, so do you have any New Year's resolutions, Rod? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in January. You, got, yeah. you go first. Reveal New Year's resolutions for 2018. Davo. We talked about this bit yesterday. 
I'm scrolling through my uh, my notes on my phone. Okay, let me let me let me <laughs> go let me go through there. Here we go. I want to get my weight down to 180 pounds. I'm right now. I'm at 189. I've got to get to 180. I want to get to 180. I haven't been 180 since I'm thinking around 92. And that's where I want to get to. Oh, you're all muscle, mate. I don't know where you're going to lose it. You may have to give up a nipple. Uh, secondly, my 90 days no drinking, except New Year's Eve, uh, plus our weekend in Vegas, Rog. <laughs> that's, that's my, I'm on day eight, Rog. It feels longer. <laughs> what, what? I want to occasionally read a book. About toolkits uh, or other subjects? I don't know. I want to read fiction. I love reading spy novels. And uh, I used to read a lot of them. And I've I've stopped and they take me away. They, I can escape. And then finally, Roger, which you and I talked about, you were fascinated this year. I'm really going to double down. I started working harder on my French starting this summer. By the way, I, you've, you've announced that too blithely. We need to develop a sting, a musical sting. Davo works on his French. Wow. That, yeah, that is a big, that's a big bomb you just dropped, David. I used to speak quite good French. Got an A in my French A level, Rog. Studied it for two years at university. Used to like read everything in French. Spoke pretty good French. It just it just left. It just went. Uh, and I'm I'm getting my French. I'm listening to news in slow French, um, pretty much every day. Ooh, very interesting. Uh, last night listening to uh, the coverage of everything going on in the United States and news in slow French. The French perspective in the Etta uh, Uni. Yeah, yeah. Les Etats Unis. Let's unpack this, David. What is driving the yearning? to work more on your French. A yearning I admire as a former French speaker and someone who loves reading French football books in their natural tongue. But what is driving I, it, your sudden urge to reclaim your, the language of your youth? It's heavily connected to my love of the island of St. Bart's, where I spent a good deal of the winter. Roger, I love it down there. Now, that doesn't sound like I've found a really interesting part of the world, which I happen to love. St. Bart's is paradise, and it's not difficult to love paradise, but I love paradise and I want to spend more time there. And unlike France, where on the whole people, the last thing they want to do is speak French to you. In St. Bart's, they really do want to speak French to you. It's like lovely. And so uh, it's partly to do with that. Secondly, I think it's a really good, you know, Spanish, of course, is a very useful language in football. Italian is a beautiful language in football. But French would be useful. Maybe I could have a deeper understanding of Arsene Wenger, a man who I don't understand if I spoke French. Maybe I would understand that Olivia Giroud beard ad, Rog, if I, if I got my French better. I need, I have a deep longing. You know, my dad ancestrally is French, the Duponts. Um, my father's middle name is Dupont. I have this ancestral yearning, this need to understand the French people, Rog. Most I, of the time I don't. I admire it. I need to start uh, finding a podcast called News in Slow Yiddish to reclaim my past, <laughs> mate. But... You play I don't for me. Slow Yiddish exists. You play for me in, in slightly less angry Yiddish is actually what the podcast is. Yeah. But you play for me news in slow French yesterday. I listened to it a little bit. The news in French, mostly about train strikes outside of Lyon and about wow. the disintermediation of the beret industry in the modern era. <laughs> Big stories. I, I couldn't listen to it for too long to be candid. I found it a little too erotic. <laughs> She, she has a lovely voice, the woman who does it. It's a sexy language, Roger. It's a sexy language. What can I say? So, yeah, those are mine. Okay, Yiddish of the West. On, on to you, oh, Roger. Well, this being a World Cup year, uh, my main goal is to try and be positive about America not making it and not full of just like <laughs> hair shirt self-loathing. My goal in 2018 is to devote 
my energy to a renewed attention to youth development in this country. I really want to make content about youth development, positive, strategic youth development, and the coaches um, and, and the players, men and women, uh, that are within that system. I also want to focus with a renewed uh, energy on the women's game uh, in 2018. Those are, uh, the, as well as to try and understand what we can learn about what Mexico has been doing right um, that the U.S., uh, could learn from. Second, Davo, personally, my goal is to give out only love. It's a lofty goal. I want uh, the world needs more love. I want to give out love. You laughed. Well, yeah, you've been using two words here. You've used the word positive and you've used the word love. And I like that. I love positive, Rog. And I love lots of love, Rog. But I also do understand the Newtonian theory, Rog, to every action is an equal and opposite <laughs> action, is I think the only way that you could love more and be more positive if you have an equal amount of hate and negativity. And so I'm just interested to see <laughs> whether, if you're going to be more loving and more positive, what is gonna, where is the negativity going to direct itself? Where is the hate going to be directed? Oh, definitely at myself, my inners. I'm going to store it up like a pod that is never released, Davo. It's just going to destroy me from within. But there's, there's no problem fact, with that. No problem. Yeah, in fact, I would posit this following theory, is that the only way that you will actually be able to fully fulfill <laughs> this resolution to be more positive and love more is if Everton are relegated. Because then all of the self-loathing that comes from that and the disappointment and the hatred, you could maybe turn and balance that and turn that into love and positivity. You know what? We'll talk about this later on in the pod. It may come to pass. It may come to pass. But there is so much darkness. My goal this year is to focus and to savour on what makes me happy and those around me happy, what fills me with joy. I'm not interested in what we're told makes us happy. I've realized over the past three weeks, David, since I last saw you, and we are about to go to Vegas this weekend, maybe this is what's bringing it on, but life's too short to be at parties that you're not enjoying, and that is really going to be my focus for 2018. To Men in Blazers news, Dave, I want to thank our dear GFOPs who I've missed terribly, especially those of you that have been subjecting your loved ones, your family members who have never come across football, uh, nor Men in Blazers before, to Men in Blazers podcasts and content as you traverse America, uh, in traveling during the holiday period, those emails, those tweets about your like your mother-in-law's reaction to Men in Blazers pods, your your grandfather's reaction uh, to Men in Blazers pods, they thrill me no end. But I want to thank you for your phenomenal response to our two specials. They really were special in, in a sense of the word that is not normally related to Men in Blazers content. The half-season review with Rebecca Lowe, the roller coaster review at Liverpool's half season with the mighty John Oliver. What an amazing bloke he is, David. Oh, he is. He's so great. He, what I love about when he comes on the show is he, I mean, we did talk to him off air about a couple of, you know, different subjects, but when he gets on the air, he's just pure Liverpool. He gets lost in the idea of Liverpool Football Club. Nothing else exists for him other than Liverpool. Liverpool, it's sort of his Copernican sun, it's the centre of his universe. Yeah. It's his rosebud. And, and, and technically, tactically, the thing I find fascinating about him is having him in the panic room. He is the single most athletic listener and the most generous guest we've ever had. And, and to, to, to see a man listen so deeply and be able to respond so quickly, intuitively, intelligently, remarkable skill sets. It's like being at base camp, looking up at Everest and, 
and with him at the top and you right at the bottom. Roberto Martinez was our guest this week, phenomenal friend of the pod. We are releasing a full podcast, a really, really interesting podcast. There's a World Cup nation that will be in the World Cup. Belgium are preparing uh, for their campaign, really talking about the next six months in the life of a manager who is going to make a real attempt to go deep uh, at Russia 2018. We are back uh, on television Monday, January 22nd. That's a mile away. Tuesday, January 30th, we'll be sullying uh, your screens again, both times at 5.30. We've got a lot of merch on our website. I love seeing the photos of you guys in your suboptimal sweatshirts, your crap cat ties. All of the the balds win uh, wear, which we have on the Men in Blazers website under merch. We're about to launch a new David Wagner Visions Visions hat. Click on meninblazers.com and your support of all of our T-shirts, the Living the Nightmare, Living the Dream mugs, our crap cat ties, all of it goes towards helping us make more crap content, which is the goal for 2018. Speaking of merch, Rog, we're in the process of designing a 2018 Men in Blazers World Cup jersey with our good friends at Adidas. And one thing it must have is a GFOP designed jock tag. We've done this before, Roger. Jock tag, a little piece of material at the bottom of a jersey with a custom design, you know, just where where your left thumb hits. Go to our website, meninblazers.com, to see an example. Our last one featured a football-clutching raven taking a crap with the words, non in faciem. We need a new design and we cannot wait to see what you come up with. The only restrictions are that it must live within a two-inch by two-inch border. Send us all submissions via email, meninblazers at gmail.com or social using the hashtag, hashtag MIB jock tag. Okay, Rog, we've got a packed show covering the last 39 matches, the 39 steps, Rog, of festive period football on which we've gorged. We marvel at magnificent Manchester City. We break down what's happening with Mourinho's Manchester United. We sift through the race for the top four, and we marvel at the number of teams involved in the relegation royal rumble. <laughs> to the football, Rog. Oh, Davo, I raise this Guinness in toast as we prepare to read much too much into storylines that are essentially puked up by players who've been forced to play 10 times in 10 days for our delight. Top of the table crush for Europe. Five clubs between second and six, separated by only eight points with only three Champions League spots up for grabs. Then a mid-table consisting rather slenderly, let's be honest, Burnley and Leicester. And then a bottom 11, as you say, so tight, Davo, so tight. All this as the transfer window slams open and every club fights to buy themselves a Johnny Evans as if he was the Ark of the Covenant that guarantees God is on your side. Godspeed to you all. Godspeed. Okay, let's begin. The league leaders, champions-elect Manchester City, who are now a staggering 15 points clear atop of the table. <laughs> the lone blemish this festive period came in a drama-soaked nil-nil draw. It was a great game, Rog, at then 17th place Crystal Palace. But aside from Palace and, oh, Everton, Rog, no one has been able to nick a point off Pep's mob this season. We'll chat about the Palace game in a minute, but we should say 13 points from the five games since we last podded Manchester City, starting with a 4-1 heavyweight demolition of Tottenham Hotspur. A Tottenham Hotspur who tried to kick City off the field, but spent 90 minutes chasing only shadows. 
a Newcastle who sat back with 10 men in their own box but were finally undone. What's amazing to me, watching this truly thrilling, I'll be honest, truly great. They are a great City team, one that will be in the pantheon of epic Premier League teams, no matter what United fans who demand sustained greatness may say. It's that they can adapt to overcome their opponent, no matter what is thrown at them. I mean, have you ever seen a team that's so highly evolved, Dave? Sophisticated, in-game, able to kind of confront any puzzle that they're faced with and defang it. It's like watching Will Shorts, a team of Will Shortses in cleats. Yeah, I mean, look, putting the Crystal Palace game to one side, because I think Palace did something very interesting against them. But City, these 13 points from 15 available, you know, and I've watched a lot of City over the break. And what I was impressed with is how many great decisions individual players make on that pitch. Yes. And not just KDB, Rog. Looking at Raz. Raz makes brilliant decisions, Rog. Let me just say that again. Raz makes brilliant decisions on the field uh, again and again and again. We're going to put the Palace game uh, to one side. But the way that Pep has his individual players, you know, sort of running their own little corporations in their positions with the sort of ability to be creative, express themselves, make their own decisions, I think it's phenomenal. Raz, you are so right, Dave. Against Watford, they conceded to Raz in a Scaramucci of 38 seconds. And in that game... Edison completed more first-half passes than any Watford player. And you're starting to see, as the season grinds on, so many opponents now face up to City with no hope of getting a result. They just want to minimise damage. They don't mind getting beat at this point. They just don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to get a bare-bottom spanking, especially in front of their own fans. That Palace game, though, it, it was, for me, one of the most thrilling of the holiday period. City in search of their 19th straight win to tie the all-time record for consecutive wins in Europeans' top five leagues, a record held by Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich. Pep started this one with his second team, your Bernardo Silva, not your David, your Jesus, not your Aguero, your Gundogan, not your, well, I'm not really sure what, really. And Palace, what, what intrigued you about how they set up? Because I was quite fascinated by, by, by what they set out to do in this one. Well, Palace played the long ball. Roy, what a job he's done at Palace. But the way he tactically set up in this game, he was depleted by injuries. He didn't have his first choices across the pitch. But he's got them playing really disciplined football. But they didn't sit back. But they played long ball football. And they frankly have the wingers. They've got the speed on the wings. They've got players like Townsend and Zaha, who is just <sighs> They have the players who can go and receive the ball. And they've got a little bit of spine, MacArthur, Milivojevic in the middle, who've got, they've got, some, they've got the nads on them, Rog. They've got the fuzzies. And they could sort of mix it up in the middle of the field and they could play the long ball and they could try and take them on. And it's the first time that City have looked susceptible to me. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is not many people can do it against them because they don't have the speed on the wings and the top five, six teams can't possibly play that way against Man City because they'll just be killed. Yeah, I mean, as someone who doesn't have either nads no fuzzies. I, I say I marvelled at Palace. I really did. They, they reminded me of a phenomenal irregular guerrilla fighting force. It was like watching English paratroopers fight Japanese forces, superior Japanese forces in Burma during the Second World War. And I'm sure I was not the only one that watched this game and thought that, you know, just paratrooping forces behind enemy lines for sporadic commando raids and by forces. Yeah, I really mean long angle balls to Wilfred Zaha. And that strategy worked. Granted, City looked flat, shattered, blunt. 
And in the 92nd minute, Zaha ran. He felt gravity's pulling away, which can only be described as Dominic Calvert-Lewin-esque. Palace won the penalty. Oh, Davo, but Luka Milivojevic. Right at Edison. He showed hesitation. It was a bad run-up. It was one of those run-ups where he sort of moves to the left and opens it up. And at that point, you know, it just didn't look good. Somebody has got to step up and take a penalty for Palace and just try and whack it in the corner, Rog. What Nance, a novel. Fuzzy, pens. Rookie yeah. mistake, though, I've got to say. You should never look at the Edison neck tattoo vortex. And as yeah. I said on the television show yesterday in a way that made you groan, first Benteke blows his kick. Now Milivojevic. Feels like only Roger Goodell is worse at penalties than Crystal Palace. Oh, topical sports humor. Right, Patriots uh, fans. There was more drama, though. This is what I loved. Right in the dying embers, a couple of things. KDB, headhunted by Jason Punchin, took him out. Horrific foul. I mean, it was like hacker shack. I mean, fouling City off the field will be a bigger threat in the second half of the season to City than actually losing games. But in this case, miracle. The Belgian was stretched off. We all felt dark. Everything felt terrible. But then the news came out post-game. Scott Dan, who'd taken KDB out in the first half, and Jason Punchin are going to be out for the rest of the season with cruciate damage caused by trying to take the Belgian out. And De Bruyne just strolled through the Watford win on Tuesday. What is the guy made of, David? He's ginger, Rog, so he's made of different stuff. It's a different form (laughs) of DNA than the rest of us are made out of. Uh, I'm just relieved that KDB's okay. Uh, he's made of a mixture of tenacity, mayonnaise, and diamond. I mean, I mean he did the same against Spurs. He d- Delhi tried to break his leg with a tackle, a horrific tackle of frustration. And within two minutes, when most other players would be subbed off in agony, KDB got his revenge by jumping up and smashing home a goal. He's a mm. remarkable human being, not, not just a remarkable athlete. Mentally, how he does what he does it is an honour to watch that we should not take for granted. But what amazed me amidst the craziness, the drama, there were men down all over the field. The crowd were howling. The, the stadium was a crucible. It's normally a time in a game of high stakes at the top of the table and, and one with ramifications for the bottom for both coaches to go all alpha male on the referee. Pep just strolled over to Roy Hodgson and sat by him on the bench. Both men just amidst the craziness, just chatted calmly, intimately, with hands clasped, with mutual respect. It was really beautiful. What, what do you think they talked about, David? I don't know. I mean, like, number one, what language were they speaking in? Because Roy speaks so many languages. Slow French. I think, I think there is tremendous respect for Roy Hodgson throughout football. And I think sometimes, especially because of his, really the way, particularly the way he departed as England manager, you know, that shocking World Cup exit and then the disaster at the Euros... I think we sort of, and not just we, I mean, a lot of people in, in media, a lot of fans sort of treat him as a bit of a joke. But there is a tremendous amount of respect for Roy Hodgson in football. People really do think he knows what he's doing and he does seem to know what he's doing as evidenced by how well he's done with Palace this season. And I think they're probably talking quite intently about football, about the game, about what's going on, about the league. Pep has learned a lot about the Premier League this season. I'd be fascinated to know exactly what it was. I, I watched this several times and I lip read very, very well. But each time <laughs> I've looked, something different has flashed across their lips. I'm not, I, the first time I watched it, I think they talked about the war. The second time, I'm pretty sure Pep talked about death. And then the third time, <laughs> the question that came out of his mouth was, is it true that your thing stops working after your 70th birthday? But whatever... <laughs> 
what Roy Hodgson, as you say, has done at Palace, a team who had not scored a goal, never mind won a point when he took over, now played 11, and it's 1-4, drawn 6, lost 1. That is a remarkable act of leadership, whatever you think about Roy Hodgson. Different, different to Pep's avant-garde brilliance, but one worthy of respect. And for the Spaniard, in his glory, to share the glory, to share the spotlight rather than to demand it for himself as others would have done. To me, it was like watching Rudyard Kipling's classic poem, If, that we're all taught in English schools. I don't know if you are in America. With its final lines, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. It was like seeing that poem, Davo, lived out before our eyes. I said before the holiday period, Roger, that we couldn't really, you know, say that City are going to win the title until they got through this holiday period. They passed with flying colours. There's no way anybody's catching Man City at this point. Oh, have you just called it, Davo? Called it. CNN have called Gosh. the election. I've called the election. But there's still a lot of intrigue in this league. It's a fascinating league, and especially because of what's going on across <laughs> town, Rog, in the red pass of Manchester. Uh, the United, they sit second, 15 points behind City. They limped out of 2017, Rog, with flaccid draws against Leicester, Burnley and Southampton, but then bounced back, beating Everton, Rog, 2-0, to begin 2018. Yeah, sobering, occasionally disturbing holiday period for many United fans. Bit like experiencing a long-lasting searing hangover without any of the party-party benefits that made all that drinking seem worthwhile in the first place. Bruised nerve ends, mostly caused by the legacy of the Derby humiliation against Manchester City, and then the disrespect and humiliation of that Carabao Cup loss to championship side Bristol City, Pogba playing in that game and flatlining results, leaking late against 10 men Leicester City, ceding a two-goal lead to Burnley and having to claw a draw, floundering against Southampton, points dropped all over the show, followed by, I'd I'd call a victory against Everton, the artifice of a pick-me-up. I mean, it's a piss-poor Everton in the David Moyes Memorial Derby. Jose, flailing David. Did you say a piss poor Everton, Rog? And I can't disagree with you. But um, <laughs> Jay Dubs is United were Man United were they were much better in this game. And all seems to go with where and how Paul Pogba is playing. Paul Pogba came in for a lot of criticism after those flaccid draws, Rog, notably from Paul Scholes, pundit on British TV, former Man United England great, who Jose really sort of tried to take out in a press conference. When Pogba plays like that. United look very good. They do look like the second best team in the Premier League, Rog, which is, I think, what they're now aiming uh, to go and be this season. Before that, they just appear timid. They yes. appear timid. Yeah, I mean, I do. I think a lot of it is, is mental. I think a lot of it's tactical, though, David. I've got to say, watching United, and I've watched them a lot this holiday, and in the Everton game, they were bossed in the first half by an Everton midfield that had two United rejects in it. One, Juan Rooney, the other, Morgan Schneidlin. And their own lineup, you look at it, there's so many jewels in it. Martial, Lingard, Mata, Pogba. Yet they were primed to play Everton on the break. It was astonishing to watch. As it has been astonishing to watch a Mourinho team cower while defending set pieces, which is something I never thought I'd see. It's like the thought of me with hair. And in post-match interview after post-match interview, watching Jose fumble for the right nerve point to jam his finger in to cover over his faltering challenge, blaming players, 
referees, club executive VP Ed Woodward's transfer policies, George R.R. R. Martin's inability to finish the wins of winter, and the fact that Jose's struggling while his nemesis, Pep, is building that city upon a hill over at the Etihad. It's got to leave him simmering in his hotel room late at night, you imagine. Can I say one thing, though, Rog? Only one team can win the Premier League. And not everybody who doesn't win the Premier League is crap. It just is a... And I do think there is this narrative that goes with the following of Premier League, that everybody else has massive problems. And frankly, United still do sit above Chelsea, above Liverpool, above Tottenham, above Arsenal, and they're there for a reason. They've got more points than them. And we spend a lot of time marvelling over the glories that are Liverpool or Arsenal or Tottenham or the way they're playing football. And the fact is that United are sitting ahead of them at this point to go and do it. And it's a competitive, difficult Premier League. He's not a useless crap manager. It's just his system this year in the Premier League, where the Premier League is developed, is not working nearly as well as Manchester City. And when the other teams who are, frankly, also failing to be as good as City are even Chelsea included, playing expressive, exciting, interesting football. What Man United are doing, which is getting more points than their competitors to be second, but they're doing it in a dull way, seems inexcusable. And so I play it forward, David, and I do. I I see a second half of the season, if the title chase is over, all we have left is the soap opera drama of Jose Mourinho facing up to his failure, his Mm. mortality. I mean, this will be a half season of him in pep shade, left to mull, left to grapple with his failure, his inability to spark the instant success that's his career trademark. You know, now we're being fed rumours of a Jose contract extension. You know, they're briefing the press. Things are going well. We want him to stay here at Old Trafford. Those are emanating out there. But I can't believe this is going to end well. I believe we're in the beginning of the end game for Jose at Old Trafford. I wouldn't be surprised if Mourinho was not Manchester United manager come the first day of next season. And I know United fans are split. They crave, on one hand, attack, attack, attack football. They adore that. They'll never get that under Jose. But if they don't back him, speaking to a lot of uh, individuals who bleed for Manchester United, they're worried if they don't back him, they're essentially going to go from David Moyes to LVG to Jose Mourinho to the next guy over the course of four and a half years. Really, it's like a sunderland S revolving door. That is not the Old Trafford way. They are better than they were under Moyes and Van Gaal, Rog. And I'm sure that statistically somebody could point out that they're not. But they are. They're a better team. They're doing better versus their competition. Oh, I think they're going, to end up with, they're going to end up with a better league position. I think the question for United fans and for the United board is going to be, can Jose lead this team to win titles? And it's hard when I look around at the available managers to come into United is, and I look at what they've got, the building box of that team, it's hard to think of somebody who, on paper, is better qualified to do it than Jose, but I could be wrong. I think he's going to find, he could be gone, Rog. But equally, I think that Jose might just find some kind of a win for the rest of the season. I'm not even saying that he's going to win the FA Cup or he's going to win you know, the Champions League or he's going to win some kind of a trophy, some piece of silverware. I just think that he may just find a way to win something, to have a win versus Pep in some particular way. One bright spot for United, we should mention, Jesse Lingard, seven goals this season, important ones too. Only Harry Kane scored more times than him since December. Proper United player, youth academy starlet, loan after loan, became a late bloomer, now age 25. 
But he's got that classic swaggering Manchester United mentality that matches his finishing talent. And he's made a fool of many, including me, who've doubted him. Yeah, was on the fringes of the England World Cup squad as well. Maybe one of the reasons that he's playing so well. OK, Rog, now to Chelsea and Arsenal, two teams that battled to that thrilling 2-2 draw yesterday. That point leaves Chelsea third, one point off United. Arsenal, meanwhile, currently on the outside of that top four looking in. They're sixth, Rog, five points behind fourth place Liverpool. First, Mazeltoff, Arsene Wenger, great friend of the pod. Know you're listening, RC. Oh, for managing his Premier League record, 812th game. Yep, Arsenal fans, amazing. He's reached the halfway point of his tenure at your club. Sir Alex Ferguson managed longer if you factor in the kind of pre-Premier League top flight games that the record holders uh, often try and brush under the carpet. But whatever you think about Wenger, from a sporting perspective, it's a remarkable human feat to survive the pressure, the hysterical pressure at the Premier League hype machine, which is so unforgiving. My God, Arsene Wenger, the man no amount of Wenger out signs could sink. Thrilling game of football yesterday. Look, I think Chelsea and Arsenal are both very good football teams. Yesterday was like an exhausted game where neither team seemed to want to play any defence whatsoever. They just wanted to just go at each other and have a good old uh, playground scrap. You said it reminded you of like watching Premier League football in the early aughts. It was. This was how a lot of games between top teams were in the early aughts. But teams used to see very high-scoring games. Teams used to go at each other in this way. The only difference being that they used to go at each other this way in the era before pressing, before Gagan pressing, before that incredible uh, off-the-ball pressure. I mean, we just didn't used to see teams pressing teams high up the field. It just didn't happen. Pressing teams that hard at the wings, pressing teams that hard in midfield. And so these teams were both pressing each other, plus leaving enormous spaces on the field uh, where they could go and pass around it and play football. It was, I thought it was a terrific football match. Uh, players were mentally knackered. They were physically exhausted. I mean, it, it was mistake for end-to-end crap. It was fantastic to watch. Emirates, slightly odd. It's often quiet. Last night at the beginning, it was so stone dead. Arsenal fans couldn't even muster the energy to crap on Fabregas. And I've got to ask you this. If you're not howling at Cesc Fabregas as an Arsenal fan, I'm not sure life has any meaning at this point. But it was. It's been a joy of the holiday period to watch Jack Wilshire, Bournemouth legend Jack Wilshire, come back to life. Six starts for Jack the lad. Put a little tin hat on him. And he looks like he's just been plucked from a trench near the Somme in the First World War with his little smudgy face. Still creative, perhaps a bit slow, but that left foot smash to open the scoring. Most emphatic kind of contract negotiation. And another player, Rog, on the fringes trying to make the World Cup squad and you're suddenly seeing all these English players stepping up and playing good football. Going to give Gareth Southgate some selection nightmares. It's good for English football to see Wilshire playing that well. Good for Arsenal fans and very, very good uh, for his bank balance, I would imagine. Your Chelsea, though. More Spanish than Javier Bardem. I did love that end-of-year stat that no team in Europe's big five divisions has seen more league goals scored by Spanish players than Chelsea, Hmm. who are level with Real Sociedad. And in this game, oh my God, Marcus Alonso. Oh, the good looks, the hair, the energy level to get right up the field and finish like a proper striker. What a strafender he is, David. Yes, he's a great strafender. And also a very different kind of strafender, than we've seen. He's not a sort of an Ivanovic. He, he can hit a great free kick, 
He can hit them in from the outside. But he also, that was like sort of a Batshuayi, you know, poacher's goal at the near post. It was Lineker-esque, uh, Rog, what he did from that Zappacosta cross. <sighs> what a good footballer. What a total footballer, Rog. And sixth goal of the season. Good job he could finish too because, oh, Maratta in the spotlight, missed the hat-trick of chances, cracked like an egg on national TV. He's clearly been studying game film with the best of Fernando Torres, Chelsea years 2011-14 DVD, David. I think he'd like to have those chances back. Although, in fairness to him, Alvaro Morata has had a very, very good season at Chelsea. He's scored a lot of goals in his first season in the Premier League. Uh, Rog, his first season really is a starter in his career. He's got to stop using his feet, though. Don't use your feet, man. Well, he can use his feet, but he likes to sort of get in and play. He doesn't like one-on-one chances against the keeper. That's not really the kind of striker he is. He has still scored 10 goals in the Premier League this season, 12 goals in all competitions. That's really not a bad rate of return, 10 goals in 19 appearances, Rog. Yeah, uh, Andy Gray at Everton in the 1980s, he tried to get his head on everything. We used to joke that if he had to take a penalty, he'd use his head for that. I think Murata should probably look at a little bit of Andy Gray game film on YouTube, because if Diego Costa was playing last night, a man who actually scored last night for Atletico, I think mm. Chelsea probably would have scored five or six in this game. But poor Arsenal. I mean, this is a game they won, they lost, and then they drew. What a roller coaster. Arsene at the end said he would have committed suicide, quote, uh, if Zappa Costa's shot had not hit the bar, but instead had gone in late. And my God, how he suffered over the holidays. Crying conspiracy at his treatment at the hands of referees, bald referees, it should be said. Uh, that knob Mike Dean giving away a win against West Brom with a terrible call. And poor young Anthony Taylor in the Chelsea clash. Uh, probably correct in his call, but uh, as you said, Arsene has never seen a penalty given against Arsenal, which was not, what was the word he used, David? Farcical. Farcical. I mean, just search. Just search if you, want, if you want to laugh, if you're not an Arsenal fan. Arsene Wenger, penalty decision. And you just scroll through his entire managerial career of just attacking penalty, every single penalty decision made against him, not seeing any incidents. There was one penalty I found in 2009 that his team had got, which he admitted was probably not a penalty, but at the same time said that his team should have got a penalty at the other end, which equalised it. I guess that's the way you have to be in football, Rog. But the one thing I consistently don't understand about Arsenal is this is a team who were clapped off the pitch by their fans, who walked away like they'd won. I know sometimes a draw feels like a win, but they are so far behind right now. And Arsenal have got to figure out a way to win things. I'm not even talking about winning titles. Just win matches and get excited. This draw at home against Chelsea, that is a result that you should be disappointed at. As a Chelsea fan, I'm telling you, the Chelsea players, the Chelsea manager were disappointed about that. Arsenal just way, way too happy with it. Five points off a top four place. Now to the team rounding out the top four, Rod Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp's side, are riding a 16-game unbeaten streak. They should get silverware for that, Rod, in all competitions, including three wins and a draw during the festive period, four games during which they banged in 12 goals. Oh, respect to Jurgen Klopp, who's learned how to navigate the brutal gauntlet of the holiday period, a very English brutal gauntlet, rotated his squad, Liverpool, starting to look like they've got one hand on a coveted top four place. I did adore watching Liverpool play Arsenal in that 3-3 tie. Still not sure if it was the best worst game of the season or the worst best game of the season, but it was Liverpool's entire season compressed into 90 minutes. Mo Salah burnishing his bold claim 
to be the greatest Egyptian since Bob Bradley. That front four, just unstoppable. But that front four, it leaves the back six so vulnerable. There were just 388 seconds, 388 seconds between Liverpool going 2-0 ahead and Arsenal making it 3-2. Bloody hell, other than Reggie Miller pouring in eight points in nine seconds against the Knicks in 1995 Eastern Conference semis, I have not seen a game change so fast and one team just become from potent to just fallible and helpless. It's astonishing. They've conceded 25 goals this season. It's just too many goals to concede to truly contend. And their tendency to collapse, best summed up by GFOP at Amy Glumpkin, who was watching them trash Swansea. And she said, you know you're an LFC fan when it's 5-0 in the 82nd minute and you're still wondering if they can mess it up. Don't worry, Amy. Virgil van Dijk is now yours. $96 million, the most expensive defender in history, if measured in money spent. Lovren, of course, the most expensive in terms of crazy manic goals leaked. I did enjoy watching Virgil van Dijk look on in horror against Leicester as the Liverpool defence he's about to join just imploded inside of two minutes. He had the face of dread like a bloke who's realised too late that he's just built a dream house on quicksand. But you've got to be thinking medium term if you're a Liverpool fan. You've got that attack, which is like one of the top three or four in Europe. You've got Cater coming in to midfield, which is going to bolster it and make it amongst the elite. And if you could just get a top 10 defence, it could be Liverpool who test City next season and not Manchester United, David. At the time of recording, Rod, the only team with the possibility of taking maximum points in the festive fixtures, that's Spurs, Rog. Two hat-tricks from Harry Kane saw them bludgeon Burnley in Southampton before dispatching Swansea 2-0 on New Year's Day. They play West Ham this afternoon in the final match of this unforgiving holiday stretch. Oh, Harry Kane, hat-trick Harry Kane. Six goals in two games to crack 37 in the calendar year. It doesn't mean anything, that statistic, David, on one hand. Football not played in calendar years. But it really meant something to Kane. He was very visibly emotional when he broke the record. Yeah, and look, and he's been questioned at every single point of his career. We question him every August, Rog, about whether or not he's completely lost it all. And just watching him play over this festive period, watching him with my son George, who's a big Harry Kane fan despite being a Chelsea fan, as you watch him through child eyes, it's just wonderful. He's a throwback, Rog. He's just a delight to watch playing football. I did love his Instagram post celebrating the 37-goal mark achievement and his hat-trick antics. He wrote, 2017 has been great to me. Bring on 2018. Hashtag hat-trick balls. Hashtag golden boot. To which his fiance wrote underneath publicly, what about engagement and first child? Forcing Harry to play defence in a way I haven't really seen him do so before he wrote of course those were great too babe okay Rog now to this season's Premier League Cinderella story Burnley the Clarets are still seventh despite emerging from the festive gauntlet of games with just two of a possible 12 points yeah I was fascinated by a feature in the Independent by the excellent Jonathan Luke in which he looked at Burnley and, and he said they are the epitome of Brexit era Britishness he wrote in a Premier League that stands as a monument to sporting globalism Burnley's squad is drawn almost exclusively from the British Isles. Club has never signed a player from Asia or North Africa. Their only Latin American made just one start a decade ago. Not a single Premier League minute this season, this is remarkable, Davo, has been played by a non-white footballer. I was blown away by it. Crazy Brexit days. Leicester, Rog. 
they sit in eighth, uh, trailing them. It's your beloved Everton, a team that looked poised to test your New Year's resolution of only giving out love, Rog. Dave, the bloom is off the rose for Big Sam at Everton. Was the bloom ever on the rose? Well, it was. It was. After the 1-1 tie with Liverpool, it felt like a victory. But we now see it as a dubious Dominic Calvert-Lewin tumble uh, as a sugar rush that's long burned itself off. And now it's only left behind stale, bad breath and unambitious, dank football. It's kind of set in like a cloud over Goodison Park. An astonishing statistic, Davey. Everton fans have watched the last two goalkeepers stroll into Goodison and leave without ever having to face a single shot on target. And Everton fans, unimpressed at the most exciting footballing spectacle on offer for them right now, is to try and admire how organised their team are in a defensive shell when they don't have the ball, which is almost all the time. Big Sam just bemoans kind of the lack of ambition of the team and chance creation, as if he had no hand in setting up that team to have no chance or ambition. My brother Nige described Big Sam, Davo. He said, Big Sam is the kind of guy who eats a packet of potato chips while he's on the toilet taking a crap. (laughs) (laughs) And the more I think about that mental picture, I think it sums up everything that is wrong right now perfectly. I do fear the FA Cup derby this Friday, Dave. If we are are broken by Liverpool, a semblance of revenge for that derby draw, karma lovers, yep. Things could get very dark, very, very dark uh, at Goodison Park. The rest of the league from 10th on down is involved in a bona fide relegation scrap. I mean, nine points separate those 11 teams. Yeah, Watford in 10th, five points outside the relegation zone. By the way, they've lost nine of 13 games since uh, Everton tried to tempt away Marco Silva. Blink in this Premier League right now, and you may never open your eyes again. So many of the teams we love are in trouble. Bournemouth are in there, no longer the new, new thing. Southampton in there too. All the money, I think $250 million dollars in transfers just from Liverpool alone they've taken has left a team that once had Verdant Youth Academy looking like an overfished, depleted trout farm. West Ham, a bright spot over Christmas. Team on a crusade to prove 2018 is the year of the hammer. Andy Carroll, Dave, back to goal of a shagger form. In scoring them with his feet as well, Rod. At Briar Bear tweeted us to say, remember when we laughed at the return of Moisey, Big Sam and Roy? Looks like they will save their clubs which is true. But let's look at three teams that are floundering the most, Davo. Stoke, one win in their last seven. Mark Hughes, position under review. I mean, that is a club that, that is very loyal, very change-averse. And I do love Mark Hughes saying, no one knows this squad better than me. Who can get more out of them than me? But uh, when they went three down at Chelsea after 23 minutes, and Stoke fans just the chant of the holiday period, how must you be? It's only 3-0. They ended up getting spanked five in that game, but classic. West Brom, no win since August 18th and no discernible Alan Pardew bounce. What I'd say, Rog, is that the Premier League seems to have kicked on this year. I know we sort of tend to, we sort of have this trope every season is that the Premier League isn't that good. I think the Premier League is really good, as evidenced by how many teams, you know, uh, English teams, there in the last 16 in the Champions League. I think the quality of Premier League play has moved up a level. And what Stoke and West Brom, what Poulis and Hughes used to do to survive, it's not enough anymore. There's way too much speed. There's way too much pressing. There's not only we've seen, obviously, great individual players come into the league, but the way that teams collectively play has meant that that sort of defence-first 
you know, approach, it just does not work in football. You just can't park the bus in the way you used to be able to. Burnley don't park the bus, Rog. Burnley go at your throats. Crystal Palace have got out of the bottom of the table by playing football, Rog. They've played really good football. They've gone at teams, yes, in their own way, sending out those long diagonal balls out to the wings, but they're playing real football. You can't anymore sit back, defend, and grind out and hope to just score very few goals so and hold on. Too so much true. I mean, both teams being punished for setting out every season to simply avoid the worst case of relegation. This is a season in which you will be punished for that lack of aspiration. And finally, Swansea, rock bottom, deep in Kenny Loggins' danger zone. Paul Clement, so heroic last season, made the mistake of coming on the pod and has become so impotent this. Their third manager to last less than a year Third December in a row. Poor Swansea fans have seen their leader dismissed. In comes Carlos Carvajal, a Portuguese who left Sheffield Wednesday on Christmas Eve. He's walked into the Premier League, brought renewed shape and confidence. But wow, what a brutal honeymoon he's got. After the loss against Tottenham Hotspur this week, the eighth of the season at home for Swansea, he now faces Arsenal and Liverpool. I won't lie, I was hoping for the return of LVG. Time for a check on the Men in Blazers Premier League mood table. Men in Blazers mood table. Oh, that global analysis of fan emotion determined by Twitter sentiment taken within the 15 minutes of each team's last game's final whistle as provided by the great GFOP Matt Gordon. Here's a remarkable news. The bottom four, as we've just discussed, Swansea, West Brom, interestingly enough, Southampton second to bottom in terms of fans' mood and then barely a pulses Stoke City. But second from top, to your point, Davo, ahead of Arsenal, ahead of Chelsea, ahead of Liverpool fans in terms of the joy that is currently surging through their veins, Crystal Palace. I'm not surprised, Rog. It's uh, wonderful being watching Palace through the period. I've got way more joy out of that than by watching Chelsea. OK, and now Togger, Rog. No Togger winner to announce today because we're still waiting on Spurs versus West Ham this afternoon. So all of you who started an IU brother on account of the double game week, check your togger this afternoon. <laughs> check your pulse. Now, in MLS, Rog. MLS. Football is coming to Music City. Oh, yep. Yeah. MLS announced the winner of its new franchise beauty contest, Nashville. The winner out of 12 cities that submitted bids. Oh, what a city, David. Nashville is a great, great city. It'll be a great... Uh, city for Major League Soccer. Excited to see it happen down there. Suddenly, we have teams in the south, Rog. DLs regarding the new club's debut season, 2019 or 20, and the club name, colours and logo are still to be announced, Davo. But what what should they call the team? I always want the MLS to go back to the early team names like the Wiz and the Burn. America it up. Don't, you know, none of this. None of this Real or City. I thought, oh, go crazy. The, the Nashville slide guitars. Yeah, that's a good one. The hot chickens. The, what is yeah. it? The, the bushwhackers. Is that, that's a Nashville thing. If you do want to go traditional English names, don't do the cities. Don't do the Uniteds. Just be bold. Go Nashville Villa. Go Young Boys Nashville. That's what we're going to call you till you come up with your own name. Albion. Athletic. There are so many. Uh, academicals. <laughs> Nashville Academicals. That would be good. Also. Queen of the South. The winner of the coveted Guinness Men in Blazers poet, philosopher, soccer scribe, Raven of the Week is Colin Sullivan. He's from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Rog. Over the holidays, 
I was on a long car ride across the state with my parents, not having any luck finding a decent radio station. I worked up the nerve and asked, would you two want to listen to the year-end episode of a soccer podcast? <laughs> I don't think they had any idea what that meant, but they agreed. I was nervous to see how my lifelong Minnesota Viking loving father would react. <laughs> but I'm pleased to report he was heard laughing loudly from the back seat throughout the show, especially at the Wayne Rooney fat granny shagging bits. <laughs> As for my mother, she merely commented at the end of the pod that she hadn't understood a single word either of you said. Overall, a qualified success. Hopefully things went equally well for any other GFOPs who use the holidays as a chance to introduce their family to the two bald Englishmen they spend an hour a week with. Courage in 2018, Colin. Oh, Colin, your email made me so happy. The notion, Davo, of middle American parents being forced to listen to our crap, like prisoners at Guantanamo being subjected to Phil Collins' albums at all hours as torture. God love. God love your poor mother, Colin. We're worse than Logan Paul, really. Well, one of my goals for 2018 is to win over your mother, Colin Sullivan of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. From this point on, I'm only podding to an audience of one, Mummy Sullivan. Can I tell you the Christmas miracle that occurred within the Davies household? <laughs> Would you? You know, we've talked a lot to each other about our dads. I don't know how much we've spoken on the pod, maybe some. But I think that people know that my dad, and I wrote about it in the, in the upcoming book, Rog, my dad doesn't follow football, doesn't like football, doesn't like the noise of the crowd, finds it vulgar, doesn't enjoy any part of it, knows nothing about football. I think went to one match at Fulham in maybe 1946 and has never been to a football game ever since. He just does not enjoy the game. But in a game of, it wasn't Trivial Pursuit, I think it was the board game of the chase, that uh, British quiz show. And my dad was given the question to name Wayne Rooney's wife. And there was a little bit more information about it. And all of us betted heavily on there was absolutely no way that he would know the answer. And out of the reaches of his 88-year-old mind, he pulled Colleen. And it was literally the moment where we all stood up, like three generations of my family, like all of my nephews, my nieces, all of us absolutely blown away and almost upset we sort of felt sad that my father had kept a little bit of his 88-year-old mind in order to remember the name of Wayne Rooney's wife. So just to recap, because not all of you listen to uh, our Dad's Today podcast, in which we normally talk about our fathers at great length, Mr. Davis is a man who can't really always remember the names of his own grandchildren. No, he doesn't. Ingrid, he's called Greta pretty much <laughs> every day since yeah, he was born yeah, seven years yeah. Yeah, and this is a great comment on English society, yet he, an 88-year-old man, can pull out of the, the deep, deep bowels of his imagination the words Colleen Rooney, proving, as I've always said, Wayne and Rooney are the true royalty of England, and it is a Christmas miracle, Dave. Colleen Rooney, English Virgin Mary. Okay, Rog, you're upcoming <laughs> FA weekend. Looks like this. It begins tomorrow with Liverpool taking on Everton. Oh, God. PM Not face. On Sports 1. Then Saturday at 10 a.m., a tasty third-round matchup as Man City hosts Burnley at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports 1. Those of you looking for Ipswich, Sheffield United at that time can find it on something <laughs> PPTV Sport China. Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern time, Nottingham Forest host Arsenal also on FS. Oh, Rob Stone weekend it's going to be. There are many other ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which is now Men in Blazers, Baldmart, 
What are you putting in the board, Mark, this week, Roger? Oh, I say I enjoyed the tweet from a GFOP at Lake Mantarzan over the holiday period. His tweet is a photo of him in Kauai and it, of him on the beach. It says some Roger Bennett beach reading here, accompanied by a stunning ocean with him holding a copy of the phenomenal Ulrich biography of Hitler's early years, The Ascent. Uh, and it moved me because I've had a period of weeks where I've had some dark beach reading experiences of my own over this holiday on a stunning sandy beach in Mexico. I devoured Masha Gessen's The Future is History, How Totalitarianism Reclaim Russia. Oh, this is one of the most remarkable and soul-destroying books that I've read in a long, long time. going to get it for J-Dubs, an exploration of the societal shift in Russia from communism to oligarchs, told in a Studs Turkle-esque kind of personal way to the eyes of seven Russians, so it's very, very humanly told. Those people include activists on the right and the left, politicians, psychologists, sociologists, all of whom are grappling with what amounts to a dark societal vacuum shorn of ideology, propelled, if anything, by just mass collective depression and trauma. It, it, just imagine an enormous society just made of Everton fans right now. So please read it. To do so is to be challenged. Ask yourself the most important questions any individual can right now, which is who am I uh, and what do I stand for? And you don't have to be on a beach to enjoy it. Rog, we talked about News in Slow French earlier. Go to newsinslow.com, linguistically interested, uh, curious, uh, friends of the pod, and download either News in Slow French, News in Slow Spanish, News in Slow Italian, I don't know that that exists, or News in Slow German. You know, language learning through current events, Rog, this is what it is. They, they, they talk about the news. They, it's so well done. It's better than it has to be, Rog. It's so well put together. If you want to get your French back, your Spanish back, your Italian back, your German back, if you want to uh, you think you're becoming a Premier League manager everywhere except Burnley, and you want <laughs> Brush up on your languages, Rog. Uh, Slow.com. Oh. Not a paid sponsorship, Rog. Not a paid sponsorship. I just love the uh, app. Oh, if they had news in Slow Scouse. Oh, they made. Okay, visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. The first issue of 2018 is scheduled to go out next Friday. You can follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at meninblazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com or send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vanderpunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex with Tombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. I'll see you in Vegas. The year of love.